welcome to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Welcome to November. We are officially back after a week off from the election series and we are back in studio for the very first time during uh, this uh, pandemic, but we are all vaccinated here with our first leader of a party from another province. The Saskatchewan Green Party leader, Naomi Hunter, has graciously accepted our invitation to sit down and talk about politics, the Green Party of uh, the Saskatchewan Green Party and the future. Naomi, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoy conversations like this. And I can tell, you know, just from the short amount of time that uh, we talked before getting into the interview that I'm going to love this interview. (laughs) Please remember that before the end of the interview. Um, Naomi, uh, if you've listened to the show before, you know where my first question is going to go. Where's your sense of duty to serve come from? Well... Um, my family does have a long history in politics. Uh, my great grandfather on my dad's side, like my stepmom, um, was actually a sitting MP in Tommy Douglas's first federal cabinet that went to Ottawa and Percy Wright. And other than that, I have always intended to run as a Green Party candidate, um, I helped start the party back when I was a teenager. I ran around and got signatures several times because the first few times we started the Saskatchewan Greens, which was then called the New Green Alliance. We didn't quite get it together as a party. Uh, We didn't run candidate in the first election that we were a party, so we were dissolved. We didn't realize that, you know, you actually have to do politic type things if you want to be a political party. And so that happened a couple of times. And then... We ended up having to get 2,000 signatures the next time, at which point we said, okay, we need to take this seriously. We're not just a, we're not just an environmental group. We're not just a protest group. We actually need to um, look at electability here. And uh, because it was a lot of work to get those 2,000 signatures at that point, and we've been going strong ever since then. That was our first election. So what year was that? That was 1999, and we ran 16 candidates. We had two ridings where we got 8.9% of the vote before Elizabeth May achieved that number. We were the talk of Canada for six months afterward. And that election has always inspired me because it proves that we can do it in Saskatchewan. Um, We have seen in Saskatchewan politics that the same ridings, the same voters can vote wildly left and wildly right. And um, we've seen that swing where, you know, the NDP have ended up running the province, um, the Liberals for a while, now the SAS party, and it has gone back and forth over the years. Um, and so I do see that there's huge potential for the Greens in Saskatchewan. And I've always been inspired by that. I intended, I'm a single mom. Um, I had two kids with braces on their teeth. So I was working crazy number of hours for many years and had focused instead on advocacy. I volunteered for a lot of environmental, social and um, anti-racism um, programs and movements. I did a lot of petitions, actions, protests, all that kind of thing, and mutual aid projects. And so that had been a lot of my focus. And I'd always thought, well, I'm going to do this until I can run as a Green Party candidate. And then I was going to wait till my kids were all through university, be super responsible, make sure they were all set in their life. And then my kids said, you know what? Elizabeth May wants you to run. Um, Do it now, mom. 
Like, you've always wanted to do this. You have our full support. And isn't that beautiful? And FYI, both of those amazing children, the instant they were both able to vote, ended up as provincial candidates. Oh, wow. And now federal candidates. They have run for the Saskatchewan Green Party and the Federal Green Party of Canada. And so did my dad and my stepmom. It's a family affair. Holy moly, it is a family affair. Yeah, my deputy leader, Victor Lau, um, his wife, Heather Becker Lau, actually ran provincially and federally, and their son, Liam, ran for us provincially. So um, in Saskatchewan, it's amazing. We have such supportive, incredible families behind us, and I think that that makes a really big difference, too. And I'm not just saying that for Saskatchewan, but I think having a supportive family behind you in any province or any political party is important, so I appreciate that family is are willing to give up their time and in your case put their name on the ballot as well so uh, i think you raised some good sons there to actually be able to say uh, my kids are willing to get involved in the political process especially at this young age i want to talk for a moment now uh, just before we get into the the, the hard-hitting questions aka the policies and yeah. the, the future but you are the and i, I use this term lightly because uh the Saskatchewan Liberals are sort of in flux right now, but you are the new kid on the street for the permanent leadership in the Saskatchewan politics arena. This is uh, Scott Moe, Ryan Melly, and yourself are all permanent leaders. Um, what's it like to be a leader of a party in Saskatchewan in 2021 right now? Well, uh, the Saskatchewan Greens actually were the only other party that could have formed government this past 2020 election. We ran a full slate and um, it's difficult because in Saskatchewan, the media, um, the public opinion, so many things are stacked against the Greens. That being said, um, we can fight the many inequities that are out there when you're a tiny political party. Um, in the Liberals, um, Karwaki actually got to be in the leadership debate for two full election cycles after he had no elected members in the legislature. This past provincial election, I should have been in the televised debates um, put on by Global CTV and CBC, and I was excluded. I had a full slate of candidates, could have formed government, um, and yet you only saw Scott Moe and Ryan Miley, who everyone sees already debating in the media every single day. So the, the average person, here is something that I can tell you, is that politicians and the media might think that way, but everyday citizens recognize when things aren't fair. Everyday citizens um, are the kind of people who are going to keep demanding that we have electoral reform provincially and federally in this country because it's a pretty basic thing when you can see that in our province, 35% of the people get 100% of the power when it comes to election time. Everyone can see that it's not fair that one vote doesn't equal one vote. Everyone can see that it's not fair when you're the only other party that literally, if you've got enough candidates to form government, and you've worked very hard to achieve that, that you should be allowed in the debates. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second because I've heard that uh, that comment. If you run a full slate, if you want to form, if you are if you are able to form government, you should be in the leaders debate. There are some parties who have in the past run 
full slates of candidates in provincial politics. Uh, I'm not thinking of any off the top of my head right now, but let's let's call let's say the the Buffalo Party, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. if they ran a full slate of candidates, do you believe they should be involved in the leaders' debate as well? Absolutely. Oh. Once again, um, the Liberals did w- not have a single person in the legislature. Yeah. Two elections. I was in school at this time. I was taking social studies. I was standing up in class and saying how unfair that was. And um, I stand by that to this day. The thing is, is that is it the media that decides the outcome of elections in Saskatchewan or the rest of Canada? Or is it the voters? This is supposed to be a country that is based on actual democratic principles. And so, yes, these views should be based in in the leadership debate because the people have the right to decide if this party can form government, then people have the right to hear what they have to say and make their vote and mark their X where they want to. I absolutely believe in that. I believe in democracy. I can tell you that when I'm out on doorsteps, one of the things that drives me the most bonkers is those people who say, I don't vote at all. You know what? I don't do politics. And I can't help myself. I will stay on those doors forever. I will start begging them. You know what? Um, Even if you don't vote for me, please vote. I was president, long-serving president of the Regina Migrant Women's Center. And I personally know people who have gone through incredible hardships in other countries in order to, you know, crawl through war zones in order to vote. And it's just horrifying to me when I hear that people don't vote. Um, we have an we have an incredible privilege in this country of being able to help decide. Um, and voting is one of the biggest ways that we as citizens have to affect our democracy. So please, please vote. I, I shudder when people say that to me and I say this to them the moment they say they don't vote. Well, then don't complain for the next four years. Do not go on social media and complain about politics because at the end of the day, your voice is the, 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 the only weapon in your tool belt. And if you don't vote, you do not have a voice. So please get out and vote. Well, and on top of that, um, I find that especially a lot of people who would vote green. I mean, you can you can look at people. I'm an organic farmer. You know, and I will meet other people who have an organic market farm, the person selling eggs and delivering them to your door. Other, I also have a certification. I teach fitness programs for seniors and I'll meet yoga teachers, acupuncturists, people who by all means and purposes, artists. I'm also a silversmith. And so all these people who are in my community who tell me, you know what, I just don't do politics. And I will look at them and I'll say, you know what, your landlord does. You know what? Your boss does. You know what? Your uncle Bob, who's a racist, totally passionately does politics. He he goes out and votes and he makes sure that every single person around him, he checks uh, morning (laughs) coffee at the Shell station that everybody else he knows votes. So it's you do do politics because by not participating, you are empowering all those people who may not necessarily mirror your views. All right. Like they may not be representing you, but they are passionately participating in politics with their vote. And then you are living with that outcome. 
I want to talk about Saskatchewan politics for a bit now because uh, that's why you're here and that's Absolutely. why I love talking politics and I, 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 I'm getting so nostalgic right now because I remember sitting in the Regina legislature, the Saskatchewan legislature in Regina and just being in awe of that building because it was the first time I was oh, able to... Oh, isn't it fantastic? Oh, I was able to step on the floor of the, legis- uh, the, 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 the actual uh, legislature and I was able to take photos and it was the most miraculous place I've ever been. If you have not gone, go. But I want to talk about what's happening in Saskatchewan right now. Uh, It is happening across the world. It's Uh COVID-19. COVID-19 is one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing that governments need to be focusing on right now. In here in Alberta, Jason Kenney has asked the federal government for help. Uh Scott Moe hasn't. And, you know, that surprises me because normally the way that Scott Moe actually runs the government in Saskatchewan is he's kind of like the kid doing homework um, who looks over at what Jason Kenney is doing. And that's actually how he makes policy. It's inconceivable to me. We are in a situation right now where people are going to be airlifted to Ontario. What happens to those patients? They can't have family support. I am... An old-fashioned um, person, I, I love my family so much. When anyone in my family goes into the hospital, we all go into the hospital. And so what happens to Saskatchewan people when they end up being taken to Ontario so far from their communities, so far from their families? No one's going to be able to support them there. And we are in a crisis situation. We are literally at capacity for our ICU right now. And we are seeing people whose surgeries needed to be done. Their surgeries are getting canceled. So this is going to affect us not just right now, but for years into the future, because getting that kind of thing, when your healthcare facilities get to that kind of capacity, and um, these are wait times that people have sometimes had for six months, years, eons into the future. Like I had to have a lump on my neck taken off that kept regrowing back. And then when it would metastasize or change shape, they would have to take it off. And I can tell you that um, these, these surgeries are so booked up. I can remember waiting for years to have that off and them telling me, We're going to wait until this changes shape. And so, you know, I have such empathy for people who've been waiting for their surgeries. They can't get it done. What is wrong with Scott Moe? At some point in time, is this how you want history books to remember you? Do you really want everyone to say for the rest of time that money was more important to you than saving lives? That is the situation we find ourselves in right now. I've had politicians from all stripes on this show, and I have done my duty to try to ensure that I ask this question. And as the leader of the party, you are the spokesperson. You are the one who sets the agenda. You are the one that at the end of the day has to sell your platform. What would you be doing differently right now if you were in that position, in Scott Moe's position? Okay, this is not a one item answer. I I know you just said what would be the thing you would do. No, when it it comes to when it comes to COVID-19, let's start there first. When it comes to COVID-19 and the response that he has been giving to the people of Saskatchewan, what would you be doing differently? And if there's many, let's talk about them all. (laughs) Right from the beginning, I would have ensured that people had adequate supports to support them. Um, In Saskatchewan, we have one of the highest poverty rates in Canada. And right at the beginning of this pandemic would have been a time to 
overhaul our already stressed uh, social support system and institute a provincial guaranteed livable income up the minimum wage. We've been asking to up the minimum wage in Saskatchewan. I've been to so many protests demanding a $15 minimum wage in Saskatchewan that at this point in time it needs to be $22 per hour, which is what I called for in this provincial election. Everyone needs to make more money now. And why this is key during COVID-19 is that everyone who already is suffering financially this pandemic has made life harder for them. When you already um, are on disability and it's already hard for you to go get groceries, it becomes much, much harder when you're in a situation where you're under quarantine or any of the other things that we have seen in this province. So I absolutely feel that we should have brought in a housing first strategy, completely decided to end homelessness in Saskatchewan. We currently have a tent city set up in Regina. There has been an unofficial tent city in Saskatoon for years and more in Regina that the public doesn't know about, but I know we're there because I've gone and brought people blankets and food. I, I run a group of 12,000 volunteers. This is something that I've been doing with almost all of my spare time for most of my adult life. Um, I just encourage people to think, okay, you know, um, what do people need? Everyone in Canada has an extra sofa in their basement. They have extra clothes they don't wear and just bypassing the donating to things like Value Village. I've got a Facebook group that I run called I Will Help Regina. And those in need can say what they need. Those who have items go deliver it right to people's doors because transportation is another huge issue. Um, in Saskatchewan, I would have instituted sooner lockdowns made them much more thorough and then supported people properly in order to stay home. I think that the model that I would have liked to see us employ would be Jacinda Arden in New Zealand. Um, I love that woman. She has done phenomenal. We have seen incredibly low rates of deaths in New Zealand. There is someone who actually created an entire economy based on well-being and checking to see that people actually felt happy. She actually designed her economy based around people's happiness levels. Well, in Saskatchewan, I think that we certainly could use an economy system and um, decisions made based on, you know what, how much is a life worth? I'm wondering when it became so important to open golf courses and curling rinks and hockey rinks and businesses that that somehow became worth more than a life. So yet again, devil's advocate, because I, I don't want people to send me emails right after this, which if you do, you know where they're going to go. They're going to go into the filing cabinet, which I will totally respond to you in a timely fashion. <clears throat> Complaints this way. Exactly. And um, they're open, you know, from the hours of 9 p.m. at night till 3 a.m. in the morning. When I'm usually awake. <laughs> um Understandable about lockdowns. Understandable about putting when you said putting how much is a life worth? The devil's advocate in me says, as a business owner, I'm struggling to get by because mm -hmm. lockdown, no lockdown, mm -hmm. lockdown, no lockdown. And I've seen businesses in Saskatchewan go under. Absolutely. It's just it's wrong. So how do you how do you balance the needs of the people against the needs of the business? Or do you not have to at this time and just have to hope that businesses survive? Um, I think that the emphasis was put on saving the wrong sorts of businesses. Um, why is it that we have a political party in Saskatchewan that um, 
made it so that the situation was not favorable to saving small and micro businesses. Why is it that my friend Derek, who runs a micro business, um, you know, that maybe makes like $50,000 a year, was so much less important than Walmart? And I would ask you that over and over again, why it was that we didn't prioritize safety nets for those small businesses as well, because that's the backbone of our community. I can tell you that people who run a daycare out of their home, people who have a dog walking business, people who have small businesses who are just, you know, basically making enough to survive should absolutely have been given the same kind of safety nets in order to keep their business if necessary, to also receive supports in a manner that would allow them to survive this pandemic because those tiny micro businesses, those small businesses, if you give a small business like that, now this is just an example, of course, but say write a check for $20,000. We're going to help you through this pandemic. Here's 20,000 bucks. And then, you know, you might need to give that again. Now, if I give that same $20,000 to Walmart, you want to know what the Walmart guy does here? He puts it in his pocket. Now the dog walker, let's see what they do. Oh my gosh, you know what? I have to go get groceries and um, this, oh, it, it says here that I'm going to get extra money if I go make sure that the small micro grocery down the street, um, if I spend there, I'm actually going to get yet another bonus to help me survive this pandemic. And they're going to deliver to me because they're small and they're struggling too. And they're willing to drop it off right at my door. Okay, well, I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to go spend some money um, also right in my community, making sure that my kids um, have what they need. Small businesses actually spend their money right where they live because these are actual people. Yeah. Oh, no, let's let's check back now with my other example, the Walmart guy. So what did you do with that check that I gave you? Oh, oh, where did I put? Oh, hey, it's right here. You know what? I should go stick that in my bank account in Panama and not pay any freaking taxes on it. And that is the problem with how conservative governments, and especially in Saskatchewan with the Sask Party, we are the Wild West of political financing, so they are completely bought and paid for by large corporations, many of which, by the way, come from Alberta, which is, I mean, I love you, Alberta people, but please stop having your corporations send D money. Didn't Brad Wall move to Calgary or start working? <laughs> he loved Alberta so much that he was like, take me, I'm yours. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we really need to think in terms of um, what actually helps to sustain our communities, what um, actually helps to fulfill the people that we are here to serve. And that's what we need in leadership because basing everything off of big business, what actually actually happens. I am a single mother. I have struggled financially. I've always ended up working more than a full-time job. The entire time my kids were little, I was working two and a half, three jobs worth of hours. And I have been standing underneath this mythical trickle-down theory, right? Like it's supposed to, if you just put enough money way up here, it's going to trickle down to those of us at the bottom. And I've been, I don't know, like maybe I had the wrong bucket to catch the trickle-down money, but it certainly did not land on me. And um, this is what we see all over the place with this concept that we're going to somehow inject more and more money into big business. And that's going to help the people at the bottom. No, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. I want to tax the rich. 
we need to tax the rich properly now. And finally, we've actually had media showing the full state of how the ultra wealthy are not paying their fair share. Well, I see people who are incredibly poor being pursued by Revenue Canada for really small amounts, like $890. And yet to someone who's really poor, that is a horrifying amount to be pursued for by Revenue Canada. Now, I'm not talking by saying the ultra wealthy, like, you know, you might be thinking, well, you know, that's that's my cousin, Jerry. He makes one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and you're talking about taxing him more. You know what? Jerry's already paying his taxes. OK, like stop worrying about Jerry. He can. I, I'm still not thrilled that it, there's this much inequity, but Jerry's not the problem. I am talking about the ultra wealthy. I'm talking about corporations in Saskatchewan right now. The Saskatchewan Urban Municipalities Association, SUMA, actually says that small municipalities in Saskatchewan are owed millions of dollars because oil and gas companies have picked up after having used all the services that those little towns provide. They've picked up, they haven't paid their taxes and they've left. And you might be kind of going, well, but that generated income in those towns during the time that they were there. Often, These companies bring in workers from outside. They come into the town. They may spend some money while they're there, but the cost that municipalities bear because of the fact that federal transfer payments coming from Ottawa to Saskatchewan, only 10% goes to municipalities. As premier, I would actually up that. I would double it immediately. I think that they should get at least 20% because those municipalities often have to take out loans to pay for the things that we need to live. Small towns are sometimes saddled with loans up to 20 years long in order to ensure that they have drinking water for their citizens. Now, if a big business and oil and gas has been terrible for this in Saskatchewan and Alberta, by the way, um, then doesn't pay their bills, those municipalities still need those services for the small number of people that are left in them. And those people are saddled with that cost. Those municipalities have to take out loans. And that's not right to ordinary citizens. Um. We've talked about finances. I just want to make sure we keep on time here. Um, One of the other areas that Scott Moe has stated in the last few days, in the last few weeks since the September 20th, uh, September 20th, yes, September 20th election, federal election, was that First Nations and Indigenous uh, communities need help. And the Federal government isn't doing enough because it's their mandate to look after First Nations and Indigenous people. And I remember listening to the press conference the day after the election, and I was flabbergasted that he went out and said that it was Justin Trudeau's fault for him not being able to do his job to ensure that people... Scott Moe has a little crush on Justin Trudeau because he says Justin Trudeau more than almost anything else. I think he kind of is... I mean, Justin Trudeau is very good looking, and I think Scott Moe is kind of... You know, he's got a thing there. Please let editorial know that was her saying that, not me. I was just laughing at the comment. But I want to know, how are the First Nations and uh, Indigenous people of Saskatchewan dealing with COVID-19? Because it it has seemed that the number of cases are higher and the the pandemic is ravaging through those First Nation communities. People who point fingers at other people for doing exactly what they're doing have always annoyed me. Scott Moe 
has had every opportunity. If he was really enraged about the fact that we have serious issues in Indigenous communities in Saskatchewan and saying that this is a federal issue, I'm not going to do anything about it. You know what? It's a failure in leadership. I don't care who is supposed to be responsible. We have a community in Saskatchewan that was on boil water advisory for 20 years. And um, it is an absolute failure of leadership that this situation has continued. These are citizens who live in our province. Um, Indigenous communities in Saskatchewan have some of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. Saskatchewan currently has the lowest vaccination rate overall in all of the country. And we are seeing, especially in the north, where the population is 75% Indigenous, that um, our COVID-19 outbreaks have been particularly bad. Scott Moe continues to say that um, the solution is pushing vaccination. The solution is um, absolutely needed at the federal level. Well, you know what? Um, when my kids try to tell me after I've been away for a while that, you know, well, this one, well, like here's my daughter, or my son when they were little, or well, you know what? They didn't do the dishes. Well, it was, he was the one who was supposed to, you know what? No, we live in a house together and we need to make sure that we have clean dishes so that we can actually cook tomorrow. And this has not happened in Saskatchewan. Scott Moe has left the dirty dishes to a point where we actually cannot cook and where it is endangering public health. We need to see a situation where we have a premier who proactively looks to those who are actually experts in the field. We have epidemiologists in Saskatchewan who have been saying for quite some time that we need circuit breaker lockdowns and that we need to see a premier who actually shuts things down when it's necessary. Simply relying on vaccination ignores the fact that these outbreaks are not happening in a way that purely vaccination can deal with them. We need other solutions and we are now at a situation where our ICUs are overwhelmed. He is directly responsible for that and he is now costing people lives. Journalism is in crisis, and our mission here at the Cross Border Interview Podcast is to tell the story that isn't being told. It is vital that independent journalism survives with the rise of fake news. Every penny that is contributed to the Cross Border Interview Podcast goes to help continue our work to tell people's stories. All of our content is produced and edited by our team. The Cross Border Interview Podcast provides entirely free content, and we will never hide stories behind paywalls. By supporting a new model of journalism, our listeners, like you, are supporting real, independent journalism. Consider making a monthly donation via our Patreon account, or make a one-time donation by Interact eTransfer. Now, let's get back to the show. Where do we go from here? Where does Saskatchewan go from here? Because... There's only one way to go. Only, uh, we can only well, go up. We would hope that there's only one way to go, but it seems that we take two steps forward. And in Alberta, it was the best summer ever, open for summer. In Saskatchewan, you opened two days after we did or a week after Alberta did, and case numbers are on the rise. And we, I would love to say that there's only one way to go but up, but we seem to go forward, and then we seem to go backward in a, th- a spectacular fashion. So where do we go from here? People in Saskatchewan need to break out of their established voting habits. 
Um, we just had a provincial election in Saskatchewan in 2020, and we already knew the SAS party have been in power for over a dozen years. We already know that these are not people who are making decisions with their hearts. They are not thinking about people and the environment first. They are thinking about pocketbooks. They are thinking about ensuring that corporations make more money. And the thing is, is that most conservative governments in Saskatchewan, while claiming that they're balancing the budget, have actually run above budget and in fact have not done exactly what they claim to do. We need to look to political entities. Maybe it's a coalition government. Uh, maybe we look at really pushing for electoral reform and making sure that we actually have all views represented in Saskatchewan. But we do need to have people actually realize that politics affects everything about you. This situation that we currently find ourselves in was absolutely preventable. People had the ability very, very recently to vote in politicians like myself. I would have made an excellent premier and I would have ensured that heart-centered decisions were made to ensure that those who were poor, people who are at the very, very, who are already struggling are those who have been hurt the most by COVID-19. The poor got poorer, the rich got richer, and Saskatchewan is one of the worst examples of that. So from here, I really encourage people to get actively engaged in politics. Um, we need you if we're going to see new government in this province. Um, actually get a hold of your MLA. Say that you want electoral reform, you want proportional representation in our province because you know that our province isn't completely conservative in its views. And this is incredibly important because we can advocate as much as we want, but if we have politicians in place whose priorities are not the priorities of the people of this province, then we are going to continue to see results that we see right now. COVID-19 is, of course, an incredibly horrible example of that. But um, as the climate crisis continues, pandemics are something that climate experts have talked about for a very long time. So COVID-19 might not be the only pandemic that we see unleashed. We need to be prepared and we need politicians in place who are ready to deal with the droughts that are going to follow. More wildfires. Saskatchewan is a very drought prone province. So the reason I mentioned that first is that most of our drinking and agricultural water, 98% comes from Alberta and um, glacial melt. We need to look to other methods of water conservation in our province unless we have politicians in place who are going to be proactive and realize the kinds of problems that are to come. We need to bring back the water towers of the old days. There are new technologies out there where you can actually draw water out of the atmosphere and store it. We need to be looking to solutions like this. We need to be looking to see that we are looking after our health in case of other pandemics that might occur. And we need to make sure that we listen to experts in public health. We have epidemiologists, we have university professors who have been calling out about this situation from day one. They were not listened to. Right now, there has been a divergence between our chief medical health officer and Scott Moe. We're seeing our minister of health not show up for press briefings and, um, this is simply not the way that we should be proceeding when we're in an emergency situation. The public needs to be informed and in the, all decisions need to be made in the interest of what is actually the best for the people of our province and public health. We're uh, in an emergency. 
we are a half hour into this interview and I have so much more that I want to talk about. Are you willing to stick around for a few more minutes and chat? Absolutely. And, awesome. and I mean, I'm loving this so much. I will come back. Awesome. Hey, that's great. Um, I want to talk about environment right now because like Alberta, Saskatchewan relies on resource sector uh, revenues. Yeah. Uh, it, it is uh, potash, uranium, some oil and gas, but not as much as... Uh, but a lot. But not as much as Alberta. Let's, yeah. Uh, what is the stance of the uh, Saskatchewan Green Party when it comes to the resource sector within Saskatchewan? And how do you envision, because I, I feel like I already know what your answer is going to be, diversifying the economy to ensure that we are so not reliant on the boom and bust cycle of the resource sector that is being around for so long? The resource sector that we have in Saskatchewan um, is part of our economy, but um, I'm going to tell you, of course, that this is an emergency situation. We need to transition over to cleaner energy, and Saskatchewan should be a leader in this. We have more solar gain in our province than anywhere else in the country. We are actually a natural place um, and we have some of the windiest places in the country. Um, I lived off grid at the Creek um, Eco Village and we had up to 70 kilometer per hour winds um, various points in time when I was living there, like literally, you know, entire structures would blow away on quite a regular basis. Saskatchewan is a natural place to be leaders in this and yet we have a provincial utility Sask power that adamantly has not moved beyond 15% integration of um, clean energy. And right now, Saskatchewan's emissions are 248% above the national average. Right now, Saskatchewan and Alberta are actually the reason that Canada is not meeting its Paris Accord agreements. And in fact, Canada has not met any of its climate targets that it has set at any international agreement any single time that it has made promises over the years about the climate. And we are at a point where Canada is incredibly privileged. We have the ability to have much better results than we are having, and we simply lack the political will to implement those things. In order to preserve the environment and move past exploiting resources in order to survive, we have a lot of new technologies out there. We actually have technologies that will do all the things that we are currently doing, but in a way that won't hurt the earth as much. And what I would encourage you to think about, here's a real life example that I've used with quite a few reporters. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any children or maybe do you have nephews or nieces that you are very, very fond of. I want you to think of a small child that you're attached to who's five years old right now. Maybe it's a friend's child. And I want you to really think about that child who you love. And then I want you to imagine that child at 90 years old. And they've lived a full life. They're now talking to their grandchild. And their grandchild is looking up at them and saying, why is it that people that cared about you while there was still time to do something about the environment, why didn't they do something? Why didn't they act when they could? We need to think about the world that we are leaving for our children because right now we are being incredibly lazy. 
and we are basing all of our opinions on short-term gain and trying to get as much as we can out of the resource sector. There was a point in time in Saskatchewan where we very carefully um, saved our oil and gas reserves, where we did not um, just throw everything open to private industry, and we very carefully made sure that we only extracted a small amount at a reasonable rate so that it would be there lasting into the future. We were looking to the next seven generations. Now, everyone's happy because we've had this boom and bust cycle, but we did not properly tax oil and gas when we allowed that to open up to the rate that it did. And we can instead look at other countries. Well, in Norway, these industries were taxed at 17%. They've now shut it down and they have a huge excess amount of revenue from having properly taxed these industries. Instead, we've allowed a temporary boom. We've allowed these industries to make an incredible amount of money while subsidizing them. I would immediately cut off all subsidies to oil and gas. This is one of the most subsidized industries in the country. And um, in order to show that we're serious about actually preserving this world for future generations, we can no longer be subsidizing these um, polluting industries. And I would make sure that the youth saw that we were really serious about making sure that we were looking after this problem. I talked to so many youth who feel hopeless. One of the reasons they don't want to get involved in politics is that they literally do not see a future. We have an epidemic of mental health issues, stress, um, nervous disorders in youth because we have abused this planet to a point where it's undeniable at this point in time that our current rate of extraction, that putting finances and big business above all else is leaving our world in danger and we're not looking after the youth of tomorrow. There's two things I want to follow up on with that, because uh, I guarantee you right now, for someone who's listening to this in Alberta, there's someone yelling at their car stereo or yelling at the YouTube channel saying, you better ask this question. So I'm going to ask this. (laughs) Raise royalty rates. People are going to leave. That's that's the that's the argument. If you raise my taxes, my oil and just my the if you re- cut the subsidies out, if you raise my royalty rates for oil and gas, we're going to close up shop. We're going to lose uh, leave uh, your province. We're going to go somewhere else and you're going to see an unemployment rate like rate that you've never seen one. What what is what is your comment to that? My comment to that is yes. Shame on those industries. Shame on them for not looking after those workers properly. Again, looking to Europe, oil and gas companies have been some of the biggest um, investors in clean technology. They have proactively trained their workers to make sure that their industry and their people were looked after as we moved into a cleaner energy system. And here in Alberta and Saskatchewan, they've instead doubled down on their policies. They've tried to pretend that they don't know that this is a limited resource. And they have left those workers, those people that we care about, without recourse. Even I actually ran three pipeline workers as candidates for the Saskatchewan Greens this past election. You want to know why? Because they realized that their industry wasn't looking after them. They are worried about how they're going to feed their families. And they more than were willing to get retrained to know that they would be able to put food on the table. These are not bad people. 
They just want to feed their families and they're not being looked after properly. And shame on this last party. Shame on Jason Kenny. Shame on everyone who is not proactively encouraging these companies to do that. Because, again, government will is a big reason why corporations get away with this kind of inaction and why they get away with abusing their workers. I am absolutely enraged that people are potentially looking at losing their homes because of this. And we know the situation that we are in. We know that we are at a point here where the Manhattan climate clock gives seven more years before we have used up the amount of carbon that we have to put into the atmosphere. This is a known fact. Those corporations could be doing something proactively right now to look after these people. And it's absolutely shameful that they're not. The follow-up question to that is, you, you had mentioned the Manhattan Project, seven years. Manhattan Climate Clock, yep. yeah. Yeah, the clock. Manhattan, Manhattan Project, totally different. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Brain I apologize. It's Sunday <laughs> at 7.30 when we're recording this. And it's been one of those days, guys. Uh, but the, 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 the follow-up to that is, I understand that. I understand that we are in a climate crisis. But... Not me saying this because I think we are. I think this is one of the things that we need to talk about. But I, I like to make sure that I ask the questions that need to be asked. We have been in a climate crisis since 19, let's say, 80s. Mm-hmm. When the first news of the climate crisis and people thought, OK, we got 10 years to do that. And then 1990s happened and we said, oh, we got another 10 years. 2000s happened. Oh, we got another 10 years. We need to do something now in 2010. Now we need to do something now in 2021. At what point in time do people just have to stop listening to what is being said about 10 years, 10 years, 10 years and worry that if we don't do it now, 10 years, even if we have to have this conversation in 10 years from now, it, it's going to be too late and it might have already been too late 10 years ago. When do we get to the point where we have to stop listening to the scientists and actually just say, screw it? We have to do it. Because if we listen to the scientists, people are still going to argue about what scientists said what, what scientists said what here, because we all remember the inconvenient truth. Mm-hmm. Al Gore, ice caps were supposed to be melted by now, according to him. And this is yet again. And yet what we see with tipping points is that right now the ice caps are melting at a rate that we have never before seen and things have accelerated to a point where scientists are actually surprised, where their measuring equipment is moving so much faster that they're losing cameras into the ocean at a rate that even they could not have predicted. We are seeing all of this catching up with us. Um, We saw the town of Lillooet, BC um, disappear into flames this summer. We have seen in California giant massive waterways completely drying up and um, we've actually seen land sinking in California because of what's happened to the aquifers being drained and um, it's literally changing the entire topography of that state. We in Canada have seen massive typhoons, hurricanes hit the East Coast. People on the East Coast tend to be more climate aware and more proactive. We actually have governments there where greens are getting ahead because on the East Coast of Canada, the way the topography works there, they are seeing climate change in action. They are literally seeing the water creep up to their homes. People are able to watch the oceans rising. 
here in Saskatchewan, it seems like maybe this doesn't affect us, Saskatchewan and Alberta, because of the way we are situated, some of these things haven't hit us as hard yet. But when we can see the town of Lillooet, BC, so close to us go up in flames, the tail end of the heat dome actually hit my farm. I'm a farmer, by the way, in the summer, my father and I have a Haskap orchard. It was the largest Haskap orchard in the world for quite a while. And this summer, my fruit normally isn't ripe until the end of June at the latest. We were ready to start harvesting halfway through June this year. It got so hot on our machine, which um, we run partially off of um, organic vegetable oil, so it breaks down even more than regular machinery. Our harvester, um, after we had to get ready to harvest in a real hurry, it was getting so hot that I was getting my crew up at 3.30 in the morning. We'd get on the harvester by 4.30 a.m. By 9.30 a.m., my fruit was boiling on the vine. This is a reality. From Normally, I take off 10% more fruit every single year, so my yields go up by 10%. This year, we had 3,000 pounds less fruit than we have ever taken off before. And my farm is lucky compared to some others that got no crop at all. My fruit was half the size that it normally is. Haskap is a very um, juicy fruit that's basically a skin with juice inside. And we were having berries come off that were just, they looked like Saskatoons. They were just teeny tiny little um, round balls. I've never seen that before. And um, we got no rain, none, during our entire, I'd say for five weeks solid. We drained our dugout. Um, luckily, one of our neighbors wasn't using their dugout of water. And so we were able to pump over from there. Otherwise, I would have, we would have lost trees. And we had cracks going in the ground that I could stick. We have this massive uh, crowbar that is literally the height of the harvester, which is probably 14 feet tall. And this crowbar goes the entire length of the harvester because we use it to open up the front of our machine and put it in. I could stick that crowbar down to a point where it was at the height of my hip and some of the cracks in the earth that we had. So that's climate change in action. And that is what we are seeing right now. So even those people, I was shocked this year because I had farmers who are friends with my dad, who I had thought so much of what I said was going in one of their ears and out the other. And these are people who I thought were the least receptive to anything that I've ever had to say. One of them called me over and said, Naomi, I need you to come look at my farm. I went over and he had planted a pollinator garden and actually made a sign out front. And he said, you know what? I have listened to you. And I laughed and I said, you know what? Um, I believe in Donald Trump and uh, I'm not certain I want to believe in Naomi. But he said, you know what? One thing that you said struck me and that's that we don't have the insects that we had years ago. Like when I was a kid, I can remember just so many insects that your windshield was constantly getting mucked up and you would have to stop the vehicle and clean it off. That was a reality of Saskatchewan summer in Alberta as well, I think. And when I said that to him, I didn't know that that's what had hit him and finally made him see it. But he said, you know what? I realized I'm a farmer and I've got to do something to help avert this crisis because I love my grandkids. And he went and he planted a pollinator garden and I was so moved by that. So even people who normally... Um, would be some of the biggest doubters and farmers can be those people but they do love the land 
rural people are so connected to the land. And so when they start seeing incontrovertible evidence that this really is happening, one of the other great things about rural people and farmers is that we're innovators. (laughs) And we are going to do what's needed in order to preserve that land that we love. I really believe in us. And I believe that even though... Yes, there are people, there is messaging out there right now saying it's too late and we can't do anything. I think that that is one of the newest um, public untruths that is out there by industry. They want people to think that, you know what, we might as well just throw our hands up because then we're not going to go after the big polluters. We're not going to go after big business. And yet right now when that truth is hitting home and it's incontrovertible and people who've been denying for so long are seeing that it's there, now is the time to push big business to action because all the actions of us as individuals are important, but it's a drop in the bucket. We absolutely have to go after the big polluters. And that is the job of government. <laughs> we need to vote in Green Party candidates and make sure that we if that we look at how much good Elizabeth made it all those years when she was the only Green in Ottawa. Um, she was voted the hardest working MP by her peers. And there was no one else in there who was a Green Party person. So these were conservatives, liberals, NDP, Bloc Quebecois, everyone getting together. And when they had to vote who was the hardest working MP in Ottawa, they voted Elizabeth May. That is what you get when you vote in a Green Party candidate. Vote for me. Help me. I need volunteers. Come out next Saskatchewan election. I will find, I will rent a house. I will make sure there's places for you to stay. We need to elect me to be a voice in the legislature in Saskatchewan, that beautiful legislature that my new friend here talked about. And I will speak out every single day. I will be the hardest working MLA that you have ever heard of. So before the next election, which, as you said, uh, 2020 2020 was the last election. 2024 is the next scheduled election, unless Scott Moe calls an early election. We do have fixed election dates now in Saskatchewan. But we just saw in 2020, he did try to call one in April and then it got delayed till it's the actual fixed date. I wasn't going to say this, but I uh, I have to. Scott Moe, after the federal election, said this was the worst, the, 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 the worst election ever because nothing changed. But if you looked at the 2020 Saskatchewan election, literally nothing changed in that election as well. So, Scott, let's stop calling a spade a spade and let's actually just. Elections are important no matter when they're called, no matter what they're for. Elections are important. If it's if they if the Canadian people voted a minority government, they voted for a minority government. The people of Saskatchewan voted for a majority government so Saskatch party. And it, they had a majority before that. So really, at the end of the day, was there a big change in that election? No. So that's that's elections are important no matter when they're called. I want to talk about the future, though. I want to talk about the next three years, because you have three years until the next provincial election. I was going to say federal, but provincial election. Well, I do actually run federally and provincially in Saskatchewan. Our Saskatchewan Green Party leaders almost always run in federal elections. We have a long history of this. I just ran against Andrew Scheer in Regina. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So you, yeah. you're and just literally off of an election already. I have actually been nonstop campaigning for the last three years in Saskatchewan. Apparently, That's all we do now is elections. We had the 2019 federal election. Then... Um, in Saskatchewan, our Saskatchewan Green Party leader stepped down quite suddenly after the 2019 election. And so then I was thrown into a leadership race. Right two weeks after the leadership race was that false election call in Saskatchewan in April. And so that was literally two weeks after I became leader. 
Then we campaigned through that summer and had the election in October of 2020. And then we were directly into another threat of a federal snap election, which we have been campaigning through up until... Actually, I'm still clearing up details from the uh, 2021 federal election because I'm helping to get candidate returns filed and getting candidate signatures and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, nope. So you're constantly campaigning. And then there'll be by-elections. Yep, (laughs) by-election up north for the writing that Bucky Belanger uh, retired and Mm -hmm. decided to run federally. But... Um, as far as what I intend to do for the next yeah. three years, I see incredible value in building strong local representatives. Um, I do not see that we can actually confirm candidates too early. I really believe in organizing and making sure that we have those people ready to go as soon as possible. I have candidates who, you know, they run consistently and they're good candidates. Why not confirm them as soon as possible? And then I intend to keep traveling. Um, I actually traveled to every single riding in uh, in Saskatchewan Good in the twenty twenty one federal election. I helped get signatures in all in thirteen out of the fourteen federal ridings. There was only one riding we didn't get the candidate on the ballot. Um, they, it turned out right three days before the cutoff for signatures. We got a note back from Elections Canada and the candidate who we actually had got through the entire process, got rejected. So then in a mad scramble, we had a backup candidate who we got through vetting and then tried to re-get signatures and we just couldn't do it. But we did get 13 out of 14 writings with with candidates. I want to continue traveling. I did the same thing in the provincial election and I want to meet with local people and just build local community and support for each candidate. Um, I feel that that is where we're strongest as Greens is one of the core values of the Green parties everywhere. The global Green values are the same throughout the world. Green parties actually are international and we all have the same six core values. And one of those is participatory democracy. And I believe in this so incredibly strongly to me. I am just the spokesperson for the Saskatchewan Greens. We don't really believe in leaders. We believe that everyone is a leader and every single candidate is a leader in their local community and that it's those relationships in every single constituency, every single riding that are what's important. And that's one of the values of the Greens that just means so much to me because um, I really believe that that's what makes democracy itself strong is it's individual people standing up and taking part in um, our democracy and getting involved. And that's actually what we're based on. (laughs) Now, for those who are listening in Saskatchewan, for those who are listening across the country, um, I'm assuming you would say this in every province that you would be attending or uh, campaigning in or talking to. But how can people get involved in the Saskatchewan Green Party? How can they reach out to you? Because I think in this day and age, we are the most connected as we are. But unless you put the information right in front of the person's face, they will not know where it is. So... From the leader's mouth to the listeners, how can people get involved with the Saskatchewan Greens? You can look at our website, sasgreen.ca. Um, you can email us at info at sasgreen.ca. And I actually, my personal phone number is the Saskatchewan Green Party phone number. People are surprised all the time when they phone 1-306-561-8880. And it's not a volunteer. It's not an answer machine that picks up, but you actually get to talk to the leader of our party. And other than that, I am on 
all social media. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I'm under my name, Naomi Hunter. You can also look Naomi Hunter Leader the Saskatchewan Greens. And I'm on all of those and very active. And again, um, while many and actually even in my own party, Green Party leaders um, hand over their social media to volunteers, that's something that I feel is really important that people actually get that sense of who I am and it'd be really authentic. So when you message me, when you get a hold of me on those media, it's actually me who's talking to you. It's not a volunteer. And that's something that I hold true to and think that more politicians should actually um, think about doing is that people need to actually get to know you. People need to hear from their leaders. People need to feel connected to their politicians and feel like we that politicians are working for them. They need to feel like um, you care about them. And even if whatever else you're doing, it's more important to pick up that phone and talk to somebody within their par- their party, within their province, and actually be communicating with people. Like, honestly, anytime I send out a press release, I get I actually plan for the next three or four days. I get so many emails, texts, phone calls and messages back from members of the Saskatchewan Greens that that's pretty much all I do for those couple days is talk to reporters and my members because everybody wants to talk to me about what was said. And I think that that's amazing. That is participatory democracy in action. <laughs> They're like, hey, this is what I'd love for you to say in the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I am at a loss for words right now because for the last two and a half months, if you've tuned in the show, you know that I say go out, get out and vote. But there's no election in Calgary. There's no uh, election uh, across the country that I know of. Until, uh, Ontario. Until Ontario in, has in, in June. In June. Yes. Yeah. Unless they call it early. Um, white Yukon uh, just went to their municipal elections. So I will say this. Um to those who want to get involved, the links to the show notes, links to the Saskatchewan Green Party website, email address, social media are all in the show notes. I would say I'd put the phone number, but I will leave that because I don't I hate giving out phone numbers, but you did it. So I will listen to the show and you'll find the phone number. It's about five minutes ago. Um, but. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Naomi, um, this is an honor. Uh, you are my first, like I said, party leader from outside of Alberta to come oh, on the show. Really? Oh, really? Oh, wow. The, I, I'm so honored. Uh, this is this, beautiful. This was like a massive milestone for me. And this is like for everything I've done over the last few months and last three years, I've always wanted to try and make a Canadian show because I want to talk to politicians from coast to coast to coast to coast to coast. To coast. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I was able to do it. And then I, I wing in a prayer. I thought to myself, I'll reach out to Naomi because she's in Calgary today. And here she is. Five hours after reaching out, she decided to come in and sit down. So, Naomi, thank you so much for this. This is a pleasure and an honor. And I wish you all the best in the future endeavors. And I really will be reaching out to you in a year's time just to you check in on you. You might be doing it sooner because the federal party, the Green Party of Canada, is going to be having another leadership race right now. Our current leader has not officially completely resigned and we don't have an interim leader in place, but there will be another leadership race. And so you might be talking to me sooner. So I got to ask the follow up question then, because I always like breaking news because will we see a Naomi Hunter candidacy potentially? Um, because of the situation my party is currently in, no one can declare themselves as a uh, applicant for candidate right now until we have an interim leader in place. That's actually in our bylaws. Okay. However, 
from across the country. I've had uh, Greens who, you know, it's amazing how many people who, you know, I just wanted to uplift them and encourage them. And, um, and I guess that I did touch people's hearts because people are reaching out to me from one end of Canada to the other, asking me to come visit them, talk to their local EDAs, uh, inject some positivity, and they are absolutely asking me to run. Um, I am in a position where my my provincial party, of course, does not have an election until 2024. And I have an excellent deputy leader who used to be the leader of the Saskatchewan Greens. So if I needed to take a leave of absence and have my deputy leader step in, I'm in a unique position compared to other provincial Greens leaders where I don't have an election upcoming and I have an excellent deputy leader who could actually lead the party. Um, and so it's certainly I haven't ruled it out at this point in time, but according to our bylaws, I no one can actually be an applicant for a candidate right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I can officially say I'm going to go edit the Saskatchewan or the, the Green Party of Canada leadership Wikipedia page to say that expressed interest for the candidacy for the leader the leadership Naomi Hunter Naomi thank you so much and if you do make that decision after an interim leader is on I would be happy to have you back on I had all the Green Party candidates the last leadership race on the show so oh I, really I, oh that's great it was a that was season one that was June of season one so that was two and a, almost two years ago so I would happy to have you back in the chair or back by Zoom to talk about your leadership run okay Thank you so much. To my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for another great episode of the Crossboard Interviews. For that, my name is Christopher Brown. Have yourself an excellent day and keep talking, everyone. The Cross Border Interview Podcast is produced and edited by Miranda Brown & Associates Incorporated.